I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm going to start off and then you can finish. Please do start. Here she is. Curls and coils cascading down her face cannot contain the crispness of... Uh, then you have to take her. OK, over. I will. And her elegant ways, her enchanting personality have earned her a place in the nation's heart. And now, on Joyride, we're privileged and delighted to welcome Vic Hope as our guest. Oh! Yes. Curls and coils cascading written down. I might frame it. Yeah. It's poetry. Well, it's beautiful. And Vic, let's just go to the immediate, uh, your immediate history, because on your way here, you had a, a you were stuck in the Blackwall Tunnel. Yeah, but and that, I, you're not are you claustrophobic. No, I'm not. I, I mean, not in the Blackwall Tunnel. I feel like I'm very used to it. Because I live in Dalston in Hackney, and you regularly have to take that route if you go into the O2 or. Um, anywhere on this side of the river, and I'm I'm used to being stuck in there. I'm sorry I was a little bit late. Oh, don't worry about that at all. It's more I was more concerned about your mental well-being. Was there a sort of a camaraderie in the Blackwall Tunnel as they as uh, did you were people sort of you know offering help to one another, sharing their thermoses and sandwiches and so forth? This is London, Jules. Oh. I well, actually know a few a few times I looked into other people's windows and tried to catch their eye, but they ignored me. Oh. What would you have done if you had caught their eye? <laughs> Yes, a little, a little wave, maybe like toss my cascading curls yeah. and coils. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But that's what you could have avoided the Blackwall and got the Woolwich Ferry. Yes, now, oh, I love that Woolwich is, Ferry. That is something. I love getting on a ferry and the, the Woolwich one's a great one. I especially love when taking a boat is functional. Like, I love a boat ride. I love to bask in the sun on a catamaran in Ibiza but when you actually have to get from A to B and a boat is your option it makes me so excited I quite Ferries. Agree. oh even though I get very 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 seasick I mean I vomit every time but I love it I love it so much I am um, I took a boat when I was I was quite young we went to Ecuador went to the Galapagos Islands and I was so so ill that I was sick so much that I perforated my eardrum from being sick, retching too much. Yeah, oh, no. yeah. And the doctor on the boat had to come down and give me an injection in my bum because I couldn't stay still enough to put it in my arm. And then I just slept for the rest of the <laughs> nine days. So oh. not probably best to avoid the Woolwich ferryman. <laughs> do, you, do you fear the ferryman? <laughs> I fear the ferryman. You have to put an injection in my bum. Yeah, exactly. Poor ferryman. I mean, well, I didn't realise that was part of his job. Um, the you know, ferryman's an old uh, term for. The fellow who takes you to hell. Yeah. Well, it would be in your case if it was if all these things were happening. But going back to your time basking on your catamaran <laughs> in, in the Mediterranean, would we say substitute the word basking for a collapse, having just vomited after a journey, sort of thing? I discovered sturgeon. 
um, which is a motion sickness tablet that actually... Oh, not the fish. No, or Nicola, um, <laughs> that changed the game. And it was on a trip to Ibiza. And oh. someone, someone said, here, this will... That this'll is work. very useful from a number of point of views because there might be... If there's just one person listening to this podcast mm-hmm. who... That helps who has seasickness. And I feel as though this would have done its job. Secondly, if the managing director of Sturgeon Pills is listening and would like to. Like a free box. Yes, exactly. Well, uh, when I was a kid, whenever I got into a car, I'd have to have Quells, which is, I suppose, a car version of Sturgeon's. Ah, so like, it's Quells, the sickness. Yeah, because I was Ah. always sick. If I sit in the back seat, I'd always. Like have to get out and spew up until so the the cry would go out in our house. Don't forget the quells. I'm the same. It's the same with cars and planes. But I, I mean, I sort of don't mind because I like going places. I've only realised recently just how much I think travelling was a part of my identity and my personality. And I don't think you really have to ever um, think about that normally because we're allowed that spontaneity and that freedom. But I do. Yeah, I've always ever since I was little, my mum and dad used to take us backpacking every Christmas we'd go away um, Christmas where did you go all over sometimes in Nigeria which is where half my family are but um, often we then combine that with somewhere else in Africa maybe Zimbabwe or Ghana or South Africa Mozambique and we start traveling a lot around Latin America around Southeast Asia and we would literally we would book a hotel room for one night when we arrived and then just take it from there all six of us with little backpacks on well just just I mean if we'll I may go. say so because a lot of the people we've had on this show who are fantastic by the way great icons in their own field and everything but if you talk to them about their child not all of them but some about their childhood holidays there was an excitement if they went as far as sort of dim church or something <laughs> but you're not only going to places in the world uh, in in the african continent and the south american continent which let's face it even just from an insect point of view is quite a challenge for some people yeah. but also not only that you're not staying in a hotel you're not in a hotel then you're just off sort of walking so around yeah. the, the, the wherever and in africa yeah with the backpack do you mean camping Sometimes camping. And was that not terrifying? Was it like hyenas? I remember, and my dad will hate me for saying this. I remember once we we did we camped on the Serengeti in Tanzania. And is that a, what is a Serengeti? It's, um, it's where the Maasai Mara. It's sort of the, between Kenya and Tanzania. There's um, there's a, a huge expanse, like savanna. A great plain. But great plain where the the animals um, roam free. And what sort of animals are roaming free? Just All give us the a big picture. Five. We've got lions. We've got giraffes. My favourite. Water buffalo, elephants, crocodiles, hippos. Um, so let's just, let them just. I just want to get the picture oh, of yeah. you. And what age are you, by the way? So I will have been about. Uh, Maybe no, ten, nine, because not, Gabriel nine. wasn't born yet. So Gabe was born when I was maybe eight then. So about eight-year-old oh. child. There you are, all entering this. You had one night in a hotel, and then you went into the Serengeti Plain yeah. with all of the big five animals. Off you go. What, yeah. what have, what's happening? And um, so we're in we're in a, a four by four Land Rover, and driving around with our tent. And we pitched up one night. And we had it. We had a driver. He he said, "I'm just going to sleep in my car tonight." And we were like, oh, you're not, you're not sleeping in a tent like the rest of us. And he was like, no, 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 I think it's best if I, I'll, I'll sleep in the car. He then picked up his rifle and put it on his chest, crossed his arms over it and went to sleep. We went, oh, it's funny that he's decided to sleep inside the Land Rover with a rifle on his chest. But hey, he said, it's fine for us to camp here, we'll camp here. And we camped and during the night we woke up to the sound of these roars and they were so guttural and so loud. And we looked around, we could sit, we turned on the light on the torch and you could see the silhouette of a lion <gasps> right outside, right outside our tent, just roaring. 
we could see it was the silhouette just with his his, his mouth sort of turned up oh. to the sky oh. um, and mum and dad for the first time in my life I could see that they were quite frightened because they never show when you're little they never show it you don't see it and yeah. they were like okay everyone just stay very still um, and it just continued and we could hear there were lions all around they were there wasn't just so one they, they were after the smelt yet. I think that we were just in their habitat um, the, we spoke to the driver in the morning and he said look it's normal well, they just, this is just where just, they live can we just go back we're there <laughs> you come out there's lions your parents probably weren't even sure what the right course of action was yeah. but said be still because that's all they could think of doing frozen in fear themselves and I'm just saying this is what I would I would be in the, if I was them I'd be in the same boat and then did nobody think of saying Somebody wake the driver up. Well, he's in, Maybe the, we he's in the car him, on the other side of the, <laughs> of the plot. Maybe, maybe, I'm not saying he's got to use his gun, but maybe he could just have it handy in case, just in case, that's all. Obviously, you don't want the last thing you want to do is to shoot a lion. That's not what you want to do. No. He, was like, but, he was last seen bubbling his foot down, hurtling towards Nairobi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's gone now. Um, no, we, we just stayed very still, very quiet, and eventually they went away. But later in the night, my dad did need to go to the toilet and we'd during the day we'd just been going in the bush and my brother Theo at the time was still in nappies so my dad just got one of his nappies and um, did it in that oh, so, <laughs> so there was a baby on this trip as well yeah. it's quite adventurous isn't it and mind you I tell you what I have actually also been awoken in a tent by a lion no but this was at a campsite next to Whipsnade Zoo when I was a kid right so they were quite contained there <laughs> yes. it's a very different scenario <laughs> Going back to this guide, because I think, looking back, he sounds like the most irresponsible, <laughs> uh, incompetent man. <laughs> um, that, uh, that uh, One, to be entrusted with your safety in the uh, close proximity of the big five creatures, but secondly, to have him asleep with a gun over his chest. I mean, is he the right man to be handling firearms? Well, I'm still here, aren't I? Yeah, I suppose so. We yeah. all survived What it. about South America? What happened there? Well, so we travelled around um, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Ecuador. In the same way, what, do, but do you got one night in yeah. the hotel, then you just go off with a... A lot a, of a, backpacking. And it really ignited my love of Latin America. I remember being on a, a beach in Nicaragua and this guy called Pedro. I'm, I, to be honest, I was about 13, so this probably isn't right, but this guy called Pedro kept bringing me stones from the sea. And what sort of age was he? I mean, I reckon probably like 18 or something. And um, I fell in love and I couldn't talk to him because I didn't speak any Spanish at the time. And that was the moment that I made my resolve that I was going to learn Spanish, this was going to be my thing. And from there I did, I, I campaigned at my school to get Spanish as a subject, which eventually did happen, but not until after I left. So I went to night classes, learned Spanish, got all, my A-level in it. all with Pedro at the back of your at mind? At the back of my mind. I went to uni to study French and Spanish. Pedro's still there. Um, I've not seen Pedro since, no. but you I do speak Spanish now. You go back and find now. him. Yeah. <laughs> and, you'd, and you'd gone off him. Like... Candide by Voltaire. Yeah. He went back, she, the girl of his dreams, searched all around the world, and when he found her, he'd gone off her. Well, I reckon Pedro's still out there just giving stones to other girls, probably. Maybe that's the way he communicates. Yeah, with maybe. stones. Yeah, but it became my passion. Like, there's a study at uni and then went to live in Argentina in Buenos Aires for a year to write for a newspaper out there. And you really of... have a great, you have incredibly well travelled. I think you're, because this 
podcast is vaguely about travel and transport, but we've never had actually anybody who's been anywhere like you have. Oh, so Argent- <laughs> so, so going Argentina, yeah. going back by the way to, to Pedro, and it's not, it's be impertinent to me to give you advice, but to my daughters, I always say if, some, if there's a chap comes and gives you stones, be very careful. I feel like there's probably a, a mantra in there, isn't it? When a, when man when a man gives you stones. Just watch it. Watch yeah. it. He's obviously a, a bit of a weirdo and skin. Well, if a man gives you stones, that yeah. is one thing. If a man kept giving you flowers, I think that's creepier. Do you think that's worse? Yeah. I'd rather yeah. have the stones. Yeah. Mm. What are you going to do with the stones? Build a house for us both to live in. What sort of stones? Me and the man <laughs> on the beach. You and Pedro. You and Pedro. <laughs> Me and Pedro on the beach in, your, in the house. In your, was... in your stone-built villa. Yeah, and then I say to Pedro, bring more stones. <laughs> I wish to yes, I wish to build a pavilion in the garden. Yeah. More stones, Pedro. And while you're at it, get some fish out of the sea and cook <laughs> that. Um, but you went to then Argentina. Yes, when I was 19, I went to work for the Argentina Independent. I went to write um, for them. I covered Latin American politics and current affairs. Wow. Um, yeah, I was doing my languages degree at uni, and I was sort of specialising in Argentine culture, history politics and literature you know in a roundabout way I was sort of curating it for that because I was just fascinated by that part of the world I knew that you know when so, a place just comes alive to you and I, I really enjoyed the few times that I travelled and I'd been to Cuba and stuff I really enjoyed that and I, I didn't get asked where I was from quite a lot whereas when I travel usually I get asked where I'm from it's normal um back when I go back to Nigeria and we're still sort of different and it was the first time in my life that I didn't really get asked that. I sort of could could fit in a little bit. And there's such a thrilling liberty that you get from that. It's an amazing feeling. And especially then when you speak Spanish, I was just like, I really like how this feels. So I went there and I had this interest and I learned a lot. I worked a lot alongside the writing job. I worked for a human rights film festival as a translator. I worked in a cocktail bar. I had a job as um. It was technically PR, but my job was essentially for a taco company. I had to go around giving out nachos around Buenos Aires wearing a sombrero followed by a mariachi band. Um, nice. <laughs> and I worked as a virtual dating um, a, uh, assistant as well while I was there. So I did what, people's, Argentina? Yeah, I did people's online dating for them. Just all sorts. I spent a year there just doing all sorts. I That's loved fantastic. it. Fantastic. I went to Buenos Aires. I so I really liked it. We played there and... Uh, I really liked it. What's the bit around the way the big football club is? San Telmo. It's yeah, very Boca. French, isn't it? The Boca. Yeah. Well, the, no, French, Italian. And German. A lot of and German. German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot yeah. of European influences. And yes. they, they, I mean, they, well, a they, lot of Nazi war criminals. A lot of them. A lot of them. A lot of Nazi war was criminals. Was it now when you were there? Was there any rumours? Not rumours so much, but if you go to, you know, the market in San Telmo, just right by where La Boca is, um, there's a lot of Nazi memorabilia on a lot of the st- stalls, I noticed. And when you try and take photos of it, they stop you. <laughs> really? Yeah, I did notice that. But I think the thing I noticed about Argentina, Buenos Aires, I really liked, it reminded me of somehow, it was a bit like Deptford, but sort of 50 years ago. You're so right, But yeah. it had, the, but I really, and I love that music, and I love the fact that when they played the music, it wasn't like, oh, here's our old sort of music that we're putting on for the tourists. It was, this is what they just play. Yeah. It was so kind of fantastic, uh, Carlos Gardel, all that. It's like, yeah. wow, it's really, I thought it was lovely. I felt really, I really felt very... Uh, at home there because it's partly you feel sort of reassured like it because it looks sort of European yeah but actually it's not it's really kind of not European at they, all is they it sort, they call themselves the Paris of the South they're very proud of their European um, influence they use words like ciao bella there's a lot of pizza and pasta so there is there is that and it's not necessarily a great thing on all levels because um, they're, they're not hugely welcoming to a lot of the indigenous communities who've come from um, the countryside 
and, and who for whom this is really their home. So the, there are issues there, but you're right. In, in terms of, it is so beautiful, and music is the lifeblood of that place. It is literally pumping through the streets. Music and dance as well. Everyone can dance. Everyone can tango. You go to um, tango clubs. You go to milongas, which is where it's like a social dance. So everyone just gets up, and it was always like quite old men who would like come and ask me to dance, and I loved it. I just loved like I loved that that was that was just part of your everyday. And when we played there. So the whole orchestra went out. We arrived very early in the morning and at the airport we'd come in from somewhere. We'd been, unbelievably, we'd been in Australia or somewhere wow. before. So we'd flown from there. So with the whole big band, how all that works, I don't know. My manager went in and got some money at the airport. And then um, later on, he tried to buy something. They said, no, your money's counterfeit. He said, it can't be. I've, oh, I've yes. got it at the airport. Oh, yes, yes, said, yeah. You have oh. to learn the hard way. Lucky yeah. I was there but for at the a airport, year. But at the airport, you think you get... Yeah. Anyway, there we were. Trust no one. I mean, th- th- there's already... Because there's the Argentine peso and then the dollar, and it depends where you're going, what you can use. And there is a real distrust of banks because they had their crash not that long ago and the peso was pegged to the dollar. So the whole middle class almost got sort of eradicated by the fact that they all just lost all their money. So normal day-to-day people that you meet keep their money under their bed. There's a real distrust of um, anyone who might be in control of your money because they just think, well, what, what are they going to do with it? Even in restaurants, every um, every menu is sort of wiped clean. So they change the prices every single day because inflation is wild. It's up and down. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's like a fascinating place and a place where democracy is still very young. So it's it's not so party centric. It's more that they get really into a personality, which as a journalist was a really interesting thing to cover. 
atmosphere, doesn't it? Really strange place. It's weird as well there because I think it's the the stone that a lot of those tombs are sort of hewn from. The way the light hits it, it yes. looks like the whole cemetery sparkling. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And I remember me and my friends, it was it was like our hangover day thing to do on on a Sunday. We just go for a walk around the cemetery, which when you think about it, it's a really weird way to spend your Sunday with your mates when you're 19. But we did because it was such a gorgeous place. Such a pretty place. Yeah, yeah. it's a strange atmosphere. Well, obviously there we are. So going back to your travelling already before you've hardly lived your life and you've been living in Argentina you've been traipsed through the, the South America got on buses gone for like th- three days to get to Brazil from one place to another what's left yes what's left where would you like to go now well before everything stopped there was two places I was going to go I was going to go to um, Scarborough Scarborough <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go to Lesbos and the Greek islands yes. where there are so a charity that I work with called Help Refugees we're doing a lot of work there um, in the camps and I was going to go and spend some time but unfortunately was unable to because it became very dangerous and um, travel was sort of written off and that that hasn't really changed just yet but I'm hoping that when we can move around a, a bit again then I will I will go and help out for a bit in the, um, on the Greek island. Yeah, in the refugee camps. I visited one in Leros. Did you? It's quite a strange place, Leros. It's a magical place, really. Yeah. But but I like those Greek islands. I, like, and then, I went to one, Sifnos, which is a really un... I don't think I've ever heard of Sifnos. Not many people have no. been there. But are, I, you, I, are you, is it of your creation? No, I went there when I was, oh, I don't know, what was I, 20, I think. And uh, But I, because I grew up on... Um, Ray Harryhausen films like Jason Sinbad, and yeah. Jason and the Argonauts, Sinbad, oh, yes. and uh, the Golden Voyages, Sinbad. So when I was there on a ferry going to it, I was thinking, "This is Sinbad territory." <laughs> yeah. and, and any moment now, I'm going to see Cyclops rise out of the sea. Yes, exactly. You're waiting for a mythological creature, yeah. the Kraken, I believe, isn't he? The giant one that the lurks. Kraken would rise out. Yes, of the sea. in a just one, he sleeps for three hundred years, and then he'd just smell me, and there'd be a little twitch of his nostril, yeah. sort of many fathoms below, and then he'd sort of lunge to the top, and then drag and, you down. Uh, yeah, I'd make my excuses, and he'd move on. I well, hope. I loved it that, mm. and that was the last time I went. There was minotaurs wandering about on the oh, beach. Yeah, I love when he's just casually wandering about. Yes. We were talking earlier, actually, about what's that? The Neanderthal? No, I can't even say it. Oh, Neanderthal. The new new one, the giant. What, they've discovered another? Well, another sort of species. Yeah, there's... um, Um, The Devonian. I can't quite remember. And, I mean, I think a lot of people do tune into this podcast to get completely half-cut, misinformed views and, (laughs) and information. But there has been, I think the thrust of it is, there's a very early species of human that had not been discovered. Right. And the point about them is that the, uh, these early humans were giants and quite sort of like troll looking like you know and I wonder if it's where the original sort of idea of trolls and everything came yeah, from you know would be, yeah because okay. we've all got a touch of the old crow magnon the old crow magnon we have got you know that we, you've all got a little bit because the, the Neanderthals and the Homo sapiens were meeting romantically now and then and there's a little bit of Neanderthal in everyone you know, in virtually ways. Well, I suppose that some have more than others. Thank you, but uh, anyway, I was just. So you think that's where trolls? Yeah. Or yeah, when we because you get a lot of early stories of giants, which are then dismissed by people later on. But I think perhaps there were giants wandering around. You know, I think they probably were. Um, But on your travels, you've never seen one. Uh, my brother's a six foot seven, so is he? But two of them are. Yeah. They weren't that size when the lions men. No, they. One of them wasn't even born then. Hmm. Six foot seven. So maybe they've got a bit of Neanderthal in them. 
And when he wears a hat, that's seven foot. Well, yeah. Well, they've, but they've both got big afros at the moment as well. It's really? More, so, yeah. so on top of the afro, you could be talking nine foot. <laughs> well, if you put a hat on top of the afro. <laughs> yeah. big, a very tall hat and you were wearing platforms. platforms. You're getting on for ten yeah. foot. Yeah, my brothers are ten foot in their hats and heels. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What sort of width? So when, when you were all of you kids, big kids as well, um, and you'd, you'd go around in a van or well, a bus. We, I, I was... I'm the smallest, um, but I'm, I mean, quite tall for a girl. But yeah, we, we, they all grew quite fast. I remember our, probably our final big family holiday before we started to, you know, make our own way to wherever it is that we're meeting was we went around the States. We went, we flew into LA and drove up the West Coast up to San Francisco, Yosemite, Sequoia, then across to Vegas and flew across to Chicago um, and a bit of time in New York, Cincinnati. And we were at a point where we did not fit in that van. We did not fit and it was not comfortable. I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was an amazing thing. And I'm very grateful to my parents for, for that. But my brothers were big at that point. But you didn't then when you were in America, when you were in the van, you didn't go off backpacking? No, we, well, we stayed in motels lots of motels some nicer than others i don't know if you, you've driven across the states but it's vast there were a couple of places i remember one place we, we rolled in because we would just look each night we're like we'll stay there wherever we, we sort of stop there's one place we rolled in it was the dodgiest looking little town in the middle of nowhere and a guy climbed out of essentially a bin a skip and he went guys i don't think you should stay here Dad went. It's fine. It's fine. Well, it's fine. Don't listen to it. This, we'll is, stay a, here. this is the same dad who said, "Like, never mind about the lines." Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, he pissed in a nappy. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, we we saw but, a lot but, of but, things. But, but what then happened in that motel? Was it perfectly fine? Was, I mean, it was that, we've all survived it. Mm. it. It had some flickering lights, and there didn't seem to be anyone else there. But it was fine. Well, that's mm. real America. That's America. That's what you want, isn't that's it? America. Yeah. It's it's so vast. It was so. Mind-blowing, because I've worked quite a few times in the States, and often you're in LA or, or New York, but there was a couple of shows that I did for Red Bull where we went to Louisville, Kentucky, and parts of it are absolutely amazing. I mean, the home of finger-licking good KFC. But then we'd move a little bit further out. There were a lot of, you'd watch the news, there were a lot of shooting. It felt incredibly segregated. And I, just, I was like, I, I feel like I could be... I, you wouldn't believe that this is America seeing it and it is a fascinating place insofar as each of those states they're almost autonomous and they're so so different and yeah you feel like you've walked into the past quite a lot I mean I really enjoyed seeing so many different sides of it as you say a place of such mm. great contrast but not a place I suppose that you would have like the other places where you then got your backpacks and you could just sort of go you know it's like it's like I like that being like a, almost like a commando unit you're dropped into the place yeah. night in a hotel then we're out with our yeah there's a, I mean that's just how we traveled I think it's become it's a little bit heartbreaking actually I think for my parents because that's how they they loved us to see the world. They, they saw that as a part of our education. Our school were never that happy when we'd get taken out for several weeks at a time. The best um, education you could have had, But it was an surely. education. And I think in recent years, my mum and dad have been like, oh, we'll just get you know, a hostel for one night and take it from there. And they've realised it's not that easy anymore because everyone's got an app with an Airbnb or booking.com or Uber, whatever it is. So they can, it's so accessible. And that's a good thing in so many ways. But it means that a lot of that spontaneity has been rubbed away and, and you know they haven't necessarily got the grasp of the apps and the the online booking systems and I think it's a bit heartbreaking because they loved seeing the world that way but yeah well that's that's how we that's how we traveled and sometimes there wouldn't be any hotels I remember one night 
this was Nicaragua, we'd, we'd arrived in Granada from Managua and we thought, oh, we'll just find a hotel. But it was New Year's Eve and everything was booked. Um, and there just happened to be a lady outside one of the hotels where we were like begging, do you have a room? And she was like, come and stay with me. And she opened her home to us and we just stayed in this woman's family home and celebrated New Year with her family. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Have you stayed in touch since? No, no. Oh. We, we stayed one night and then we were <laughs> well, off. cleared off. And it was, that was it. But it was, it, was a, it was really nice. And we, all, we were salsa dancing till like three in the morning. She was like her family, she had sons. We were all just, yeah, salsa dancing. Oh, Drinking really, lots of rum. Nicer, isn't it? Yeah. Lovely. Gives you some faith in humanity. It does, yes, doesn't it? Exactly. And here, a message from our sponsors. Jules, my curtains are so dismal, mm. they make me want to be sick. Their <laughs> patterns fill me with disgust. Mm. The trim and pelmet appalls me. So awful, I'm going to hang myself. No, there's no need. We have fitters who can do that for you. At It's Curtains For You in Eltham. Also, another branch in Bexley High Street, above The Undertaker's. <laughs> Put yourself together. <laughs> We're talking about all the extraordinary global places that you've been. What about places in, in either in the United Kingdom mm. or in Europe? Did they take you to, did you get to visit all those yeah. places as well? So we, it used to be Christmas times that we'd go away, because my mum cannot take the cold she's Nigerian and she's just like we would go we usually would go back to Nigeria anyway and see our family but so that was Christmas time was away but in the summertime mum's like well it might be hot so we should stay here and we would always go to Scotland so we would go well, up to where the, it was very likely to be cold yeah well, which it was, it <laughs> was. but we would we'd pack up the car and we'd camp we'd go to the Isle of Skye oh. to Arran and that was our thing we yeah we had this six-man tent that we all stayed in never once stayed on a campsite dad would have us driving around for hours and hours into forests and by locks just trying to find somewhere we can pitch up a tent where we won't get run off the land by farmers and that was our that was our summers um mum who is amazing used to always manage to whip up these incredible meals on a tiny little camp stove she would make us jollof rice like proper nigerian food even though we were camping in the middle of scotland and yeah we'd get eaten alive by midges it would usually be raining and cold but it was um that was our summers yeah how lovely what a lovely sort of landscape to be in for, mm. the, for the for the summer a great contrast and what about the sort of um uh, cities were they did you get do you like going around cities and having a look at those i do when we were younger we used to go Place because I'm from Newcastle, so places we'd go to quite frequently because we could get to Edinburgh, um, York, Leeds. Me and my mum used to travel to Leeds. That was our treat yeah. away from the boys every couple. Because there was no Afro hairdressers in Newcastle when we were growing up. Well, there was one, but he was very, very expensive. So to, for us to get our hair done, we had to go to where there were more black people. So we'd go down to Leeds, and Margaret had a salon there, and we would have a day out. We'd get the train. And by the time I was allowed to have a little bit of Prosecco, we'd have like a little Prosecco on the train, um, pull into Leeds, go and see Margaret, get our curly perms or relaxers done to our hair and then have a day of like, have some, there was a place, where was it? Where you could have some tea. I think it was a Harvey Nicks. They had like a fancy tea hall. On the top floor. Yeah, on the top floor. We'd go there, we'd have a cup of tea. We'd look at all the clothes that never buy any. Mum would, it would always be like a lip balm. She said, a treat for you, get you a lip balm. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that was our day. That was our girls' time yeah. um, in Leeds. And it just, it, it, it's re- held a really special place in my heart. Whenever anyone says Leeds, I'm like, oh, Leeds. And other people don't necessarily think of it like that. But I, I look back on it with these really rose-tinted spectacles. My mum my and dad actually met right outside Harvey Nichols. I think oh. there was a, there's a shop, I think it's Debenhams now, but it was something else then. And my mum was a window dresser in there. And my dad worked at the Yorkshire Post and used to have a look at it doing the window dressing in the window there. He would literally window shopping. Yeah, and they communicated, much like you and Pedro with stones, <laughs> they communicated through the window with sign language. And he said, let's go to the dance hall round mm-hmm. the corner um, next weekend. So they did that. And I think they got engaged two weeks later and <gasps> married after six weeks no. of the first initial contact behind the window. That's wow, a that's beautiful story. Amazing. There we amazing. are. And there you are. That's quite extraordinary. Wow. That could have been you and Pedro. It could have been. I mean, that's the other thing. I always remember the first time I think I got taken abroad, my father had he managed to get some work in Paris and he took us all. And I had long, lank, sort of black hair and imagined <laughs> I was, I don't know quite where I thought I was, but anyway. And then I was walking along the road with him uh, near where his office was in the West End and in Soho. And he suddenly pushed me into this uh, barber shop and said, well, just get your hair cut. I said, oh, yeah, well, I wasn't really thinking of it. And within moments, I'd had sort of froth and stuff put on my hair. It wasn't really where it was going on. And suddenly I reappeared and had been reinvented and I had this huge enormous sort of mullet which wasn't me at all and we then went to Paris and I must have been about 14 or 12 or something I don't know something like this 13 maybe and we go around museums and I remember sort of catching the eye of this very beautiful girl of the same age as me roughly speaking and looking at her and trying and smiling I don't know just thought you know because you're and I thought I bet she's a Parisian young woman how great and and then I realized she was looking at me and I thought oh she's not really paying attention to me because she thinks Who's that idiot with the mullet? And the mullet almost almost marred the whole uh, Parisian experience for me. I can't believe you got a mullet without asking or planning. Without consent. Without consent. In those days, in those days, it was the same period when if you felt your uh, husband or wife was slightly deranged you just have them committed with that and thought you wouldn't have to have any any experts check them or anything yeah. it was the same days when you could you would just say oh uh, um uh, you know um my uncle's not feeling very well and they give him an ejection that was the end of it yeah. no no forms of filling yeah exactly <laughs> so, and, so, and so you were, you, you could you could you could be given a mullet against your will yeah. just like that it well, was I it was, had it was one horrid perpetrated on me, and I'm saying perpetrated because that's what it was i had the similar long lank hair down to my waist and um, I went into a hairdresser with a picture of Elvis Costello and this was in 1978 right. so Elvis Costello crucially you didn't a, have a mullet I said can you do me hair like that yeah he went no way he said I'm not doing that that punk rocker I'm not doing I said well it's not really a punk rocker but I, sw- I want it like that he went nah he said I'll get somewhere near and I came out and he'd done it and he blow dried it so I looked like a, it was a 1970s version of um Noel Edmonds. So it was very high, centre part in, yes. blow dried into the shape of a bell around the side. <laughs> so almost I, like, almost I came like out a sort of a jack said, of heart, no, sort of a, on, the, on the cards, a jack sort of. Yeah, it was a, a, the most awful. So I, I, then I looked out of the barbers and sort of waited until the bus arrived, made sure there was no one in there who recognised me. Almost. And I ran on the bus with my hands on my head, went home and then just got scissors out and got home and did it himself. Did you make it better? Miles better, right. you know, you but he, he refused to do 
what was I would say it was a very normal haircut. <laughs> yeah. And Shay, instead, he gave me some, like I just looked like a. I had a bell on me, like, you know, a big Ben on my head. Yeah, I mean, I think some people can just do one style, can't they? You know, that's what happens. You know, they can only do one yeah. thing, really. I think. You're going to look like a BG, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whether well, you like it or not, chum. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been wonderful chatting to you yeah. today. Thank you so uh, much for having me. I tell you what, you've taken us on some journeys there that were both enlightening and terrifying and fun all at the same time. And I, I think tonight I will be dreaming about waking to the sound of those roaring lions. Just keep a nappy close. Yes. Well, there goes Vic, travelling home, probably camping somewhere dangerous en route. That's right, in a lay-by perhaps uh, around the North Circular Road, unafraid of the foxes or whatever, come close. Not, Not in the slightest bit. Perhaps just for a bit of comfort, she parks a tent up in a safari park on the outskirts of London for safety. This podcast was produced and edited by Molly Stewart. Sound engineers with James Stewart and George Latham. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.